You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about mending damaged relationships. You know, Christmas really is all about relationships. It's about God in heaven who made his way to this earth and his son Jesus because he wanted to have a relationship with us, wanted to make that possible with us. We know and we think about family and friends at Christmas time. It's why Christmas can be encouraging on one hand and discouraging on another. We miss those that we've lost that have that have passed on before us. We miss uh, distance. Sometimes, you know, people can't gather together and sometimes relationships are damaged in the middle of that. Christmas seems to bring out the best. The holidays bring out the best and the worst. We kind of remember, you know, so-and-so should be here, but they're not. And why are they mad at me? And why can't they just come to dinner? Why can't they just be with us? Why can't we be a family or friends? And and so this morning, I felt like when we look at the book of Proverbs, it's just very appropriate for us to think about what it takes to mend a broken relationship. We know how to fix lots of things in this world, but relationships are some of the most difficult things to repair. Are they not? Are they, I mean, just so difficult? To How do you begin to overcome relationships that, that have become damaged? And the reality is, is that all of our relationships, I, I don't like this reality, but all of our relationships are going to get damaged. Every single one of them. None of our relationships will ever make it from beginning to end pristine without anything that, you know, anything that happens, just things happen in life. And so part of the us being and growing in, in Christ and knowing our God in heaven and having a healthy relationships on this earth, and I'm not just talking about husband and wife, we'll talk a little bit about that as well, but kids and parents and co-workers and family, extended family, friends, neighbors, just all of it. It's just, uh, it's so important and they all get so damaged. So I want you to notice this morning, before I talk about how to mend those, one thing I want you to notice, look what Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 says. As we have, we're winding down Proverbs. We've got one, maybe two more messages uh, on Proverbs, but as always, we're hopping through a lot of different passages here. And so just look at it on the screen or maybe make notes yourself. To be honest with you, we probably, there's some things that God showed me in this that we all need to come back to this morning. So even if you're not a note taker, I kind of encourage you to don't just take mental notes. Like you need to, we all need to pay attention to this. But look what Proverbs 14.1 says. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. In wisdom, we build up our homes. Our, it's not talking about physical homes. It's talking about the, a mom and a wife in a home. In wisdom, those relationships, that family is to be built up. But foolishness and sinful foolishness tears it down. I want you to notice this. There are always three things at any given time that you are doing into every single one of your relationships. Three things, not four things, not ten things things, three things. You're either building them up, tearing them down, or you are neglecting them. And by the way, when you neglect them, you also ultimately are tearing them down. Think about your house. Think about your garage. I've got a garage out back. It doesn't have vinyl siding on it. It's It's got siding. It's like pressed 
It's, it's like glorified pressed cardboard. I don't know why. However many decades ago they thought this was a good idea. Yeah, we'll just put some paint on it. It'll be weatherproof. And, and it's just, it's terrible. And once that fails, like it's, it's gone. I can't reclaim it. It's not even like wood. You can't sand it down and fix it. And so I've let it go the last two years. It takes more maintenance than my house. I've done more, I think, any given year than just my whole house on the outside of it, trying to take care of it because I wanted to vinyl side it last year. I'm like, I'm done. I want to be done with this. I don't want to be doing this when I'm 70. I'm, I hate painting with a purple passion. I don't want to paint this thing anymore. And I don't want my kids having to paint it. And they don't want to come back to my house to paint it. So with my garage, every single day, every minute of the day, I'm doing one of three things. I'm either working on it, repairing it and building it up, or I'm taking a sledgehammer to it, which I've not done that yet. I've got a part, the chimney needs to come down, so I'm tearing it down, or I'm neglecting it. I'm ignoring it. And by the way, I've noticed, as you have too, on your house and on your garage and everything in life, if you neglect something, it by default starts coming apart. Neglect your car, it starts falling apart. Neglect anything in your life, you actually are doing damage to it. Every one of your relationships are in that exact same way. You don't accidentally build them up. You have to intentionally put time and effort and energy into building them up or they start falling apart. So every one of our relationships, sometimes we do take sledgehammers to them and we wail away on them and we got to repair it. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Oftentimes, we just kind of neglect and a couple that's been together 30 years, and all of a sudden they get divorced, and everybody's like, how did that happen? What in the world? Probably there were some things way back when, and over time neglect, and they just got to the point where that's that, and they're done. So at any given moment, you're all either building them up, your relationships with any person you're thinking about, you're tearing it down, or you're neglecting, which is also tearing it down. So let's talk about what it means then. For us, how do we begin to mend and repair, to, to heal over those kinds of relationships when the damage happens. I've got a large willow tree in my front yard. It's four or five feet in diameter across. It's, it's a huge thing, huge. And I noticed a number of years ago that the ants had started getting into it and they kind of ate their way into the wood and it was kind of rotting up one side. And uh, it's one of those things like, I probably should take that down, but I really don't want to pay $2,000 to have somebody to take that down. I'm used to cutting my own trees down by power lines anyway. And I've watched that tree as it continues to grow and put on more and more mass around the trunk. It's actually trying to heal itself. It's starting to cover over the bad spot. Given a chance, in a few years, it's going to have it covered over to where you wouldn't notice it. You wouldn't see it. And we need to, likewise, when the damage hits and the fights happen and the, the, the hurts happen, we have to spend time, begin healing and mending those kinds of things. And that tree will always have a scar, however long it lives. And our relationships may have scars, but we can experience healing. Now, this is not easy. The verse I want you to notice this morning is Proverbs chapter 18. This verse, just God used it to speak to me profoundly. Simple verse, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city with all of the walls and the fortifications. And when we get into fighting in our relationships, it's like erecting a castle and putting bars up in front of them. 
This word offense is a, it's, it's, as I dug into this word, it, it means a breach or a break in relationships. You see, we get offended far more often than we want to admit. It's, a, it's when there has been, a, in our perception, a, someone has been disloyal to us at whatever level that relationship should be. In other words, they have done something, said something, insinuated something that says they're not committed to us, that they're actually more into themselves, at least in that moment, and it is a breach of a relational contract. That's what an offense is. You've done something that is against me. You've said something that was not for my best interest. You you have an attitude or you've done demonstrated by doing something or not doing something that you don't care in this relationship, that you have broken trust in this relationship. And when we cause an offense, and by the way, the quarreling is parallel in this. When we are fighting, there has been a breach of that contract. There's been a break in that relationship. There is a problem has surfaced, a situation has come around, and we're now fighting in the middle of that. And by the way, you've got to learn how to fight fair in relationships, and we don't have time to talk at length about all of that, but there is a break. And when that happens, it creates hurt. It leaves us with a feeling of hurt and pain in the middle of that which is, by the way, we get angry, peel anger back, and below anger is hurt. You hurt me. Now I'm mad. And when we get mad and we have that hurt, what's happening is is there is an offense in there. We feel offended. Even if we deny it, well, I'm not offended. Well, why are your arms crossed? (laughs) Why why do I hear this coming out? I'm not mad. Oh, yeah, I've been married to you for 20 years. I know when you're mad, and you're mad. Like, don't deny, you know, I know you're mad. You know, we're offended. We're hurt. And when that hurt and when that offense comes, then we lose trust. We don't trust that person quite as much as we used to. And if this situation goes on and on, we lose more and more trust. And what ultimately that leads to is a, an isolation in our lives. Look at the circles. Somebody saw my presentation. There's lots of circles this morning. This is how this works, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. There's a problem, a situation, a fight that happens in your relationship. This can be marriage. This can be extended family. It can be parents and kids. It can be... It could be your neighbor. You could get mad at where your line is between your neighbor or, you know, your neighbor. Why in the world are you, like, turning your stereo on loud in your car at 5 o'clock in the morning? Like, I'm trying to sleep, you know. It could be all kinds of things. But there's a problem, a situation, a fight. You get hurt, annoyed. You start feeling this stuff. There's an offense. And now you don't trust that person nearly as much as you used to. And the bigger the problem, the more distrust, the more pain, the more the offense is. You know, these are orders of magnitude. And it leads ultimately to isolation is what Proverbs 18 is telling us. We get isolated from that person because we get into an us and them situation. Walls go up. Defenses go up. And the challenge is that this happens with people that we are in relationship with that are close to us. And we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to take that wall down. 
And we've all been on each side of this. Sometimes we've been the one that caused the offense, and sometimes we've been the one who is offended. And then the cycle continues because then if you look at the next slide, the cycle goes to where we then lash out preemptively or we become so isolated that we begin to leave. Look what these next two Proverbs say. The Bible says in, in Proverbs, um, ultimately in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 8, it says this, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from its home. Well, I can read that one too. Okay, we're caught up. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from its home. I told our presenter this morning, I'm like, I'm going to drive you crazy today. So I already kind of gave fair warning. So it causes us to leave at times. We get offended. We create isolation. We, are, we become so isolated, and one of two things usually happens. The person ultimately over time leaves, whether they leave physically, in a case of a marriage, an affair, go looking for something somewhere else, or they stay physically there in the home, but there is a walled-off portion in their life where they leave emotionally, and they don't share as much, and they don't talk as much, and it becomes less and less of a, a love in the relationship becomes more and more of a loveless relationship, if you will. You, I like maple syrup. My, I'm not much of a snob in most things. My wife is, I'm going to blame her, has made me a little bit of a maple syrup snob. I don't, I struggle to eat the cheap stuff. I just, I'm really not a snob, a snob if I need it to, but it just doesn't taste right and it like makes me nauseous or sick to my stomach. I don't know what it is or whatever. But when you get real maple syrup, when they tap the trees in the you know, late winter, early spring to get the, 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 the water and the juices and all of that out of the tree, a little piece of that tree dies. And the next year they got to move the tap somewhere else, a little tap somewhere else. So all of our relationships, every time we have a fight, every time we have a quarrel, that relationship experiences a bit of death. It experiences damage that needs healing. And over time, if you get some here, and you get some here, and you get a little bit more here, and a little bit here, and a little bit here, like after a while, the tree can only take so much. You know, There can only be so much life in that. And you might look at the tree, and it still looks okay, but then when you look closer, well, I see some scarring here, and I see something here, and I see here, and I see here, and I see, like, wow, there is a lot. And over time, people will begin to separate, and they will begin looking to leave, and they will begin looking to make their life elsewhere on their own, leaving their spouse, if we're talking about a marriage, or they start checking out of friendships and start ghosting and all kinds of things. And when we do, I'm talking about, and in this case, talking about a marriage, it is like a bird that wanders from its nest. It leaves its area that it should be protecting and be responsible for and providing for and abandons them and it leaves them and it goes against everything and says well I think I can find something better over here and that simple little proverb that we could read just like well okay what does that mean a bird abandoning its nest think through it they're leaving the responsibility they're leaving their honor behind they are heading out to other places and the reason people get there is there can, ultimately is because there's stuff going on in the home and they're letting their hearts wander. That's one thing that happens. Or the other thing is people begin having preemptive strikes, what I, what I call a preemptive strike. We had a cat years ago that just, it was a kitten. It showed up on our wood pile one morning. I woke up on a Saturday morning. I hear this meow. We didn't have a cat at the time. 
you're like, Sean, seriously, you've, all, you've got four now. I can't believe there's ever a time you didn't have them. We actually have not always had cats, and they've always come to us and found us. Like, even when we're walking on the road, like, where do these things come from? And this little cat was just a little kitten on our wood pile. I don't know if it fell off the tractor or the wagon, whatever, on the farm cats, and it was covered in fleas, and just like, we were like, okay, we're going to be merciful with this cat. And you can't, little kittens, you can't give them flea medicine. If you don't own cats, you don't know these things, and this is why you don't own cats, because you don't want to deal with this stuff. But the way you beat, the way you, like, like I'm not going to bring all these fleas, and you're like, oh. And so you have to wet the cat down. Cats don't like getting wet, and you have to soak them with like ivory soap. So there's so much soap, it's like a paste, and the fleas suffocate. It's okay, they're just fleas. Don't get upset. You don't need to call Peter or anybody else. Like the fleas die and they go away. Well, I think that cat knew that I was the one like administering this pain because that cat, for the rest of its life, it would just, I could walk by in the dining room and it would just like, not ignoring it, it would just. You know, just kind of hit me on the leg, or I'd walk by, there's a hutch, and it would just, I'm like, what is wrong with you, you know? Just kind of preemptively. It was just a grumpy cat. Grumpy. That's what Proverbs is talking about. Proverbs 21, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Ladies, men can be quarrelsome too, but you got picked on here, so... You know, this is this works both ways. 27.15 says this, a continual dripping on a rainy day. Just drip, 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 drip. This is not a happy rain. This is a just annoying. And a quarrelsome wife or alike. You don't want to be around that. You want to get away from that. Cat, leave me alone. Those are preemptive strikes. A quarrelsome wife somewhere in the past has had problems, fights, situations, maybe with you. Maybe something else, but just not happy in life. And they've worked that circle where there's a fence, and they've become isolated in life, and those walls now have cannons shooting out of them. So every time the enemy comes by, you know, I remember you. You got me wet with that soap that day. I remember you. And there's a kind of a, a right? And we don't like being around that. You don't like being around that person at work. Nobody wants to live that way in a home. Nobody wants to live with somebody that's cranky and irritable and all of that because things are not right in life. And sometimes it's not just because they've been hurt or whatever. Sometimes that person just has other expectations in life and they just, they're just in sin and they create whatever. But usually when you dig down, there's stuff in there. And, and they're just preemptively hitting. And ultimately, when those relationships, when it grinds down to that, there ends up being a separation because something breaks. You can only take so much when people are leaving and off into craziness or whatever, and when they're just nagging and hacking and just coming at, and something breaks. So there's two things before I explain to you how to reverse this cycle because there's a legitimate cycle here. But the two things you need to know is why should we bother? Divorce is an all-time high. In fact, today, people aren't getting married. They're waiting. And I think a lot of it is people just realize, yeah, relationships are hard. It's easier to move in and out of relationships. And it's easier to ghost people than ever. And we make, we make relationships in general, whether it's relationships at church or relationships even with family, and we just we write people off and we ghost them. So why should we bother trying to fix this reality? Because it is a... Harsh reality in every one of our lives. Well, there's two things that you need to recognize 
One is, is we need to recognize that people, actually I switched my presentation, so I don't want to drive our presentation person too crazy. First thing you need to realize is that we need to choose, the, personally for ourselves, being good and excellent. You see, look what Proverbs 12 says. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. So when you're in that situation, small or big, you have to stop and say, you know what, even if that person is treating me and I'm offended and I'm hurt and all of that and I'm isolated, now I am the one at like, risk of lashing out. and just ugh. The way you break, start breaking the cycle, cycle is you have to choose to say, God, I want your blessing on my life. And I realize that I cannot have your blessing unless I choose righteousness and goodness. If I don't choose righteousness and goodness, no matter what I do in this relationship, I have nothing but a curse from you. You see, we have, it starts with us. Does, whether you're, you feel like you're the one who's really more the victim or the one that's been offended, the solution starts with you. You are most vulnerable at your sin showing. At you acting out is what the world would call it today, or you know, uh, you just lashing out when you've been hurt. You're most vulnerable there, and that's when we don't choose goodness. So you have to stop and say, God, I want your favor on me, and I want your favor in my relationship. Lord, would you examine my heart? Psalm one thirty nine says, "Search." me, oh God, search my heart and know me. Try my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way or any grievous way inside of me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, we have to stop and say, God, there's a fog of war that's gone on. This my my friend, my family member said this, and I got mad and that, and I said this, and there's just, you know, all of this going on. And we have to step back and say, wait a minute. God, I need to be good. I need excellence. What Proverbs 12 says, an excellent wife, the one that's morally good, one that's capable, engaged. God, I need to be that excellent friend. I need to be that that excellent, you know, father, even if my child is saying or doing things they shouldn't be. And God, would you help me? So for your own sake, for God's blessing, you stop and examine yourself. And the second thing that you do is you have to see other people as a gift of God that they are. You have to see people as a gift. Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Ladies, remember that one. Remember, I am your good thing <laughs> to your husband. Remember, a house and wealth are inherited from fathers. Fathers or families work, fathers and mothers, and they can give an inheritance. But a prudent wife, a wife who is wise and discerning, not foolish, that one is from the Lord. You see, God gives us these relationships. You know, there's this passage that talks about children, that children are a heritage of the Lord. God, God gives us relationships. The greatest gifts that you and I will ever get in life don't come in boxes under a Christmas tree. 
they don't, the car commercials, you know, where there's a car with a bow on it. Has anyone ever in here gotten a car for Christmas? Like, is that even a thing? I don't know what planet people live on. Not in my world. Like, that sounds great. Like, the closest I've gotten is a little matchbox or Hot Wheels, you know, like little gag gift. I got you a Porsche for Christmas. You know, here you go, whatever. The greatest gift that you and I will ever have Truly, this is, I mean, this is not a Hallmark commercial or Hallmark movie, but it's just the people in our lives. And that's what the Bible's telling us. So that means when there's relational damage and you're looking at those people and you've worked that circle and you're all the way around the circle and you're isolated and you're hurt, you have to stop and say, wait a minute, I want the blessing of God in my life. And God, I realize that this person is your gift to me. Now, the Bible's talking about a spouse here. That is really hard to do, my friend, when you discover that the gift that God's given you is damaged. It's broken. It doesn't fully work right. None of us treat each other the way we are supposed to 24-7. I ordered a gift for one of my kids off of eBay, and it said it was mint and great, Sean, so you shouldn't be buying Christmas gifts off eBay. I know, but the picture was good. They made it right, but it came in and was like, like, this is not usable. This is like broken. Not only does it not look right, it just doesn't work. And I emailed them and they made it right. They gave me a complete refund. So I'm like, okay, at least they took care of it. Nobody wants to get a damaged gift. We don't want that. But congratulations, God gives us people in our lives and they're all messed up. They're all broken. They will all fail you. They will. None of them will meet your expectations 100% of the time. Every one of them will offend you. Every one of them will hurt you. Every one of them is broken. So you can either not like life and just want to make it all about you and be a princess or a prince, and you know, and, or you can make yourself like, I haven't done anything wrong, it's all them. No, it's not. You, they're broken and you're broken. So what it means is, is that you and I need to look at the people in our life and see them as a gift. And what happens is, is when we get hurt and offended, it's kind of like we become like the teenager that wakes up in the morning before school and finds a big zit right on their forehead. And they're like, this is terrible. I look awful. Oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. And his parents are like, no, you're not. You're beautiful. Like, it's just one zit. You know, you can tell your teenage kid all you want, but it's like that one thing defines them and ruins their whole life. And it's one thing. We do that in our relationships. We get hurt and we act like their whole life is that one thing, that one scratch, that one dent that just came, and we view them that way, and we isolate and we write them off. And so when you stop and say, wait a minute, God, this is your gift to me. It helps us at the very least to say, wait a minute, they're an awesome person. Yeah, I got dinged here. And yeah, that hurt. But I need to look at some reality. It also means that you need to treat them like the gift that they are to you. Have you ever given a gift to somebody and watched them misuse it and abuse it? Neglect it? Say they didn't care about it? Not take care of it? Intentionally abuse it? How do you feel? You get offended. You get hurt. I wonder how God feels when we treat our spouses. He's like, hey, that was my gift to you. How dare you treat them that way? Hey, I gave those kids to you. How dare you treat them that way? Hey, that's your mom and dad. How dare you treat them that way? Hey, that's your, your friend, your fellow church member. How, 
dare you treat them that way? And all of a sudden we realize, whoa, no matter what damage they, however they are, we have a responsibility to God to treat them as the gift that people are. And then we have a responsibility in our own lives to say, wait a minute, God made me a gift to other people. I need to get my acting gear and be a worthwhile gift. And through God's grace, allow that mess to be cleaned up. That's what Jesus does, is He takes that which is broken and begins to fix it and mend it and heal it. He's a great physician. Our sin is what damages us. Ultimately, this is all about sin. Broken relationships is about sin. I So much today, if you go to marital counseling in so many places, we're like, well, let me give you 10 tips of how to talk better. Can I just, I'm, that's not really what most people need. You didn't need communication coaching when you fell in love and you talked just fine for those five years. You didn't all of a sudden forget to learn how to talk. What you need is your heart fixed. You've got some heart issues down in there that's then out of that you're communicating wrong. Yes, sometimes we do miscommunicate, but I've watched a lot of people hide behind that. Oh, we just don't want to communicate. Well, no, you're just being a jerk. <laughs> you just, you're just, you're hurt. I mean, you're preemptively striking right now. Call it what you want, but no, you have, you're, yeah, you need to let go of some stuff. And we need to be that gift that God gave us. So now I can give you the steps. Now that I've laid out those two things, and time is running quickly, but let me share it with you. So step number one, look at the circles, my circles again. So the cycle initially, if you remember, it went, went around clockwise, started with there's a fight situation, you get hurt, there's an offense, you, you distrust them, and now there's isolation, and it'll keep going on. In fact, you get two people, because when fight's going on, they both got circles going on, and it gets crazy. So the first thing you have to do is you actually have to heal it going the other way. You have to stop fighting, and you got to be quiet. That is so hard to do. But look what Proverbs 17.1 says this, Better is a dry morsel... <laughs> Old piece of toast, you don't even, you're so broke, you don't even have enough butter to put on it. No oil, no butter, but better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Boy, every time you and I get into a fight over money or how to handle money or what we have or don't have what we're doing, we need to remember this one. It's better to just stop and to be quiet. I struggle with this because whenever I end up talking with couples that have been working this cycle a long time and there's multiple preemptive strikes and they've gone on and they don't realize if it's three years down the road and they've had so many of these things and the conflict is so bad, I just want them to hit, I want to hit the emergency brake and say, can we just stop? This is all fixable, but not if you keep fighting and attacking. you got to stop. That's the first place. And i got to tell you, my track record is not very good. I think it's just human nature. We don't want to stop. We're hurt and we're offended and those walls are up and they can't come down and we can't take them down. In fact, that's the nature of what that initial proverb is. You can't take the wall down that you created when you offended somebody. You can't dismantle it. Only they can take it down. That's what all of these are about. It's about your heart. You've got to deal with these things. And so the first thing is you have to make a choice to stop fighting and you got to get quiet. Even if inside you're struggling and you're seething and you're hurting and you want solution and you want justice and you want... Stop. 
Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have had seasons of fighting and you can't get it fixed, so you just stop talking about it. That's a step in the right direction. It's not the whole thing. There's a lot more needs to happen, but you kind of wall that cancer off and you leave it alone. You can do better than that, and you need to. But that's the place to start. I want you to notice, go back to the circles, I want you to notice, though, that there's an arrow now that is still fighting. The next step is the the reconnect. So you stop fighting, you get quiet. And if you really are going to build and solve this thing, you've got to then reconnect with somebody. Now notice the arrows. Now you're kind of trying to work the circle to the left. And you've agreed, I'm going to stop fighting. I'm not going to isolate. I'm going to try to reconnect. But that reconnection is hard. you know why? Because you still don't trust them. That distrust in you is pounding against you. And you're trying to connect with somebody that you don't trust. You know how hard that is? It's hard. We don't want to do it. But that reconnection is important. And there's we could talk weeks on this, but that reconnection is when you start talking and you choose not to isolate. And it's a choice you make in your heart. And one of you has to make it. Ultimately, for this to get healed, both people have to make that choice. And then you experience what Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We usually think of men sharpening one another and it's great men's group studies. But when you're talking about a marriage, husbands and wives sharpen each other like no other relationship on this planet. Because you're together. And the challenges that we face is because our sin rubs into each other and rubs each other the wrong way. And what God's trying to do is to use you to help sanctify your spouse. And it's probably trying to use your neighbor to sanctify you. Their sin is probably trying to teach you patience and long-suffering and all of these things. And that's sharpening you. And when you reconnect, you begin talking. And that's when the sharpening begins happening. But the next verse is really significant. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. I'm being transparent with you here, but even when I've counseled with couples before, I'll listen to the husband and I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I get that. Okay, yeah, she's one really has got some problem here. And I talk with a wife and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. That makes sense. He really is, you know, and I'm just, I walk away, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm clueless. I can't fix this. So what this proverb is saying, it's saying when you and I have had this situation and we blurt out and we speak our case, it seems right until the other person speaks. And we hear what they're saying and we're like, oh, oh. And there's a sharpening in that. This is uncomfortable and this is painful, but you have to do this reconnection with somebody that you don't fully trust yet. But you got to walk through this and navigate that. And if you don't do that well, you'll never come back around and heal the relationship. It'll never happen. That's why it's so hard when the offenses come to take this wall down, but you got to work the process backwards. It's, the process is what got you to that place, and now you got to unwind it and go the other way around. So let's say you come together and you have that reconnection and then you've got to build trust. That reconnection begins building trust, but trust doesn't just happen because, okay, well, we figured this solution out. And the, the more important the relationship is, the closer it is, the more this takes years, to be honest with you. 
Problems with neighbors can usually, if they're two people are really working out, can get solved pretty quickly. But let's go to the other end of the spectrum, the spouse. That can take years of walking through these things. But ultimately, we have to build trust and get to the point where we are like what Proverbs 27 says, that the faithful are the wounds of a friend. That we say, you know what? I trust that person. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I have blind spots. And I don't have it all figured out. And when they come to us, that that relationship is building up to the place where they can help deal with things. And we can have that level of trust because we're now working the opposite direction. But even that building of the trust, if you look at the circles, you still have to work because you still have to forgive and be forgiven. And it still is going to be working opposite. And you've got to forgive and be forgiven before your hurt is even gone. So you have to walk through this process. That's why we struggle so much. We just kind of want to go from the hurt to the forgiveness, and you can't. There's other things that need to be built into this. Now, ultimately, we can't preach a whole sermon series on forgiveness and all of that as well, but we're talking about putting two relationship, a relationship with two people back together again, and both are going to have to forgive, and both are going to have to experience forgiveness. And even when we do that, initially we don't feel it. Because we still feel hurt. And we still have got the feelings in the middle of it. If there's anything I want you to know about feelings, and we're talking about that. In fact, we're going to have our study, this winter study is going to be on emotions. Is feelings always follow. They don't lead. They follow. They follow what we're thinking. They follow what we value. They follow what we're doing. And if you want to get your feelings right, I don't care whether it's anger, anxiety, discouragement, worry, irritation, dread, all of those feelings, they follow what we're vowing, what we're thinking, what we're doing. And you get that thinking, all of that right, your feelings will eventually follow. They'll get sorted out, and you'll have the happier at peace feelings again. And when over time those feelings begin to leave, they will leave in time, then ultimately we experience the final thing, which is that relationship begins to experience peace and unity and two people have grown in their relationship with Christ and with each other. It's not a complicated process, guys. It is exceedingly difficult. And each one of us have to be good at this if we're going to have healthy relationships that are meaningful, that are Christ-honoring in every area of our life. There's no other way around it. So I really encourage you to kind of I hope you've taken some notes with this because the next time you have that fight, that situation, or those multiple series and you feel like you keep having the same one over again, you probably are, but you probably have not dug through it. Some of you have trouble in your relationships and there's a fight that you had 20 years ago and problems that surface that you've walled it off and you've never really healed it. And maybe you just don't talk about it that part of your relationship is still dead until you work this process and you bring healing and life back to it. So what do you personally need this morning? Is God showing you that you just need to be quiet? You just need to shut up. Even if it takes everything inside of you, it just you have to do that. Maybe you're at that point, but you still in your heart have isolated yourself. And you know you have. You know you've distracted yourself by doing other things or you avoid or you don't go there. 
Are you at least willing to try? Now, you can't go there if the other person isn't willing to go there. It takes a partnership in here. Just like this thing unwinds with you, it takes both of you beginning to work that circle together. And it's the nature of relationships. Maybe you need to step, at, you're at the point where you just need to value that other person and you so are looking at everything that they've done wrong that you forget the whole reason you fell in love with in the first place and you're missing all the good. Or maybe you see your neighbor, just, just that one thing, that big zit or wart or whatever, that you're missing all that they have. Maybe you need to value them differently. Maybe you've gotten into sin yourself and you're gossiping and you're complaining and you're criticizing and you're running down. You need to go to God and say, God, search me and point out my sin. And forgive me. Help me, Lord, to get this right. Maybe you have to make a choice to begin to rebuild that trust. It takes time with that. But the more you work that circle intentionally, the more health and life and you begin putting your relationship in the direction that it should go. So what do you need this morning to respond to? What's God speaking to you about? Which relationship is coming to your mind? And what do you need to do there? And maybe there's nothing to do. The damage has been so far gone. And maybe you just need to pray and say, God, now I get it. I used to blame them, but now I see that I've got some stuff to deal with. Well, deal with your stuff and forgive them. Even if they don't forgive you and that doesn't get healed, at least take that step. But work that cycle. Respond to what God is speaking to you about. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, mending relationships is not easy. In fact, I would... Lord, I would imagine most relationships that get damaged never truly get healed, at least in that area. But Father, that doesn't have to be true of us. You sent the Lord Jesus to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And not just to forgive us, but to change us so that we can change and that we can have godly, healthy relationships on this earth. Lord, help us to want that and to not just write them off. It's easier to do that. It's more painful, but it's easier. Lord, help us to do what Scripture says in as much as possible to be at peace with everyone. Help us to not to bite and devour and damage people. Help us to choose people over things. Lord, help us to be healers, peacemakers in our relationships, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.